calling Dick Tracy. Come in, Dick Tracy. A podcast is in progress. Alright folks, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Dick Tracy Minute Podcast, recapping 1990's comic book movie masterpiece Dick Tracy at the rate of one minute of screen time per episode. And my name's Parker. My name's Robin. We're just a couple of Tracy heads. Paul Rudd was not in Fight Club. Oh, uh, how you doing, folks? We're here at the uh, Dick Tracy Minute podcast today uh, talking about minute three of the film. And I'd say the most exciting minute yet by uh, an order of magnitude. Absolutely. Uh, I I was saying at the end of the last episode that I think this is where you kind of realize what film this is going to be. Mm -hmm. Up until now, we've seen a lot of colors, a lot of kind of stylized buildings and stuff like this. But this is where you realize, oh no, hold on a second. This is not even a little bit taking place in the real world. This is fantasy land. Yeah, well said. Um, We see Charlie Corsmo climbing through a bunch of uh, multicolored barrels, trying to stay in the shadows. And then we see a group of hoods, uh, mobsters, uh, heavies, and it looks like they're playing poker. In the distance, we can only really make out one of them, and that is a guy with... a a very distinct uh, brow, and we now know that his name is that the character's name is the brow. What do you make of him? Well, a few things. Interestingly, uh, it occurred to me while watching this minute, none of the characters, save for one, uh, actually have their names said out loud in the film, and no. that includes the brow. And one of them, I actually like, I have not known his name all these years, and had to look it up. But to, if we're starting with the brow, I actually do you know the brow's real name? No, because he's got one apparently. Uh, in the comics, the Brow's name is Alfred Brow Sr. And his, like, that's Brow, his last name is B-R-A-U. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, huge, huge presence. Like, a good example of a character that, uh, big role in the comics. Like, I think for decades, he's been a big Dick Tracy villain. His son, Alfred Brow Jr., is also a character. And certainly a character that, like, one of the best action figures from this film is the one for the brow. He was one that we used in all our Dick Tracy like action figure playing scenarios as kids. And then, obviously, he is literally only in this one minute of the film. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I think you, you likened it recently, too. It'd be like if there was a scene at the start of a Batman movie where like the Riddler, the Penguin, and a few others are all playing poker, and then they just get immediately killed. Yeah, Because, yeah, we also have the rodent on the far right of the table. Uh, so from right to left, we have... The rodent, the brow, shoulders. I think I want to. I want to say, and then the stooge. I think is the other the guy's stooge, name. Stooge, yeah. And then finally, little face, the most horrifying of the the lot. Little face was was pretty crazy seeing that as a kid. What well, what did you make of him? Oh yeah, no, he's horrifying. Uh, and and it's actually interesting that um, he's probably the most grotesque and and surreal looking character in the film, and we see him this early. Uh, before we've seen hardly any other humans at all. Um, but at the same time, in the context of the scene, we, we do see him last. They kind of work up to him. So, uh, like, they go around the room. Yes. 
because at first we're just seeing kind of through the barrels, yes. like in the distance, this this shot of the goons. I thought they were all, in my memory, they were all smoking, and it was just like your classic nefarious smoke-filled room. I think only the stooge is uh, is just smoking a big fat stogie there. No, um, I think Shoulders is smoking a cigarette as well. Is he? Okay, yeah, that would yeah. explain the amount of smoke. Now, uh, this is interesting. I like this because before we even see them, you just hear their voices, and it's already really sinister sounding. And they're playing poker. They're talking some poker gibberish. To Five kidney. Noel. I don't know what they're saying. Six si- Noel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm cold. Uh, I don't know what they're saying as uh, an adult either because since this movie was made uh, in 1990 and rounders hadn't come out yet they're playing seven card stud or drawn stud poker or something other than uh, Texas Hold'em so in general not so familiar with it yeah but yeah it's it's all Greek to me in terms of yeah no help anyway it's uh, it's just interesting though because I as a kid it was uh, we're kind of seeing it through the eyes of the kid you're overhearing, you're eavesdropping on adults playing poker, and it's just a bunch of gibberish about bets and aces and things like that. And uh, apparently, do, do we reckon? Through. Do we reckon it's a, an illegal backroom game? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd say so. Probably the back room, uh, the fact that they're all criminals. I don't know if the poker itself was illegal in in Chicago in the 30s or no wait uh yeah no the club Ritz scenes later they definitely confirm that so, so we got ourselves an illegal uh backroom poker game. yeah and the kid is kind of like clambering through the different barrels uh, I'm, I'm assuming what he's trying to do is is get around the monster so they don't hear him so that he can get out the back way but he knocks something over and they're immediately alerted to it and we see someone swing around and this person is still immersed in the shadows mm-hmm. um, and he's holding a gun this is little face who swings around uh, to investigate what's going on we don't really get a good look well no we, we don't get a good look at his face at all but if you pause it just mm-hmm. right you can just about make out the edge of his nose and his eye mm-hmm. and it's only really watching the film the last couple of times that i've noticed that uh, little face is actually a regular proportioned person oh absolutely a, yeah with, with a, a larger head but not like the astronomically large kind of star wars jab of the hood head we see in a few minutes i think what Beatty was trying to do there was he was trying to make it look like this guy with an un- abnormally large head had a really 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 tiny face so mm-hmm. when it, when he filmed it he obviously filmed an absolutely enormous prop with with a human face inside of it but uh the way it's framed it just makes it look like it's absolutely enormous it doesn't really trick you into thinking that it's it's this tiny face in a normal ish sized head yeah that's that's one thing that anyone i've talked to who's seen the film and certainly myself as a kid didn't get until watching it many many times it always just seemed like it was kind of an ironic nickname like little john from robin hood it seemed like it was a guy with a gigantic bloody head and a normal sized face which is of course how they filmed it and yeah only after watching it a bunch of times do you realize the establishing shots of him from behind imply that he's a normal headed man with a a little face well, he's not normal head. Like his head is about the size of a watermelon, so it is like a large head. Fair but like when you when you see when you see the close up, it makes it look like it's the size of you know like I, I, I don't know like like a, like a boulder or something. It looks absolutely. Are you looking around the room now for large objects sufficient <laughs> to capture the size of, of his head? No, absolutely. Yeah. Where's that large now, sphere we kept for just such an occasion? <laughs> It's all—it's like the size of a computer tower or something. 
But um, now, Littleface also apparently a character from the comics. Leonard Littleface Finney is his name in the comics. Leonard Finney. He's the only character whose name we hear out loud in the, the scene. And uh, in fact, when we're hearing all the voices of the goons early on talking about the cards, they all have sort of different gruff voices and weird voices. And then one of them says, he says something like, oh yeah, like, what's that, little face? Or, well, little face. <laughs> and, and then little, little face responds, yeah, I'm thinking, or something like, I can't remember what he says yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's got this he terrifyingly kinda... deep voice before you even see him. And it's it's really creepy. And so, now, interesting, the first thing, the first goon they actually show in close-up is the stooge. And he's the most normal-looking one. Yeah, he he kind of passes for normal. He just kind of has craggly features and like lips that kind of seem like they're pressed down in like a kind of a scowling this guy, face. You know what he looks like? He looks like an old-fashioned hobo. He's dressed up as a gangster, like in in the nice suit and tie, but the face and and the fringe of red hair and everything. He's yeah. like a hobo you'd see uh, in in an old painting eating a yeah. can of beans. Yeah. The, the the other guy I mentioned at shoulders uh, again. It's only on very recent watches that I've noticed that the reason he's called shoulders is because he has enormous, enormously wide shoulders. You, you yeah, absolutely. Really, you can kind of only see it in certain shots. It's not um, mm-hmm. it's not abundantly obvious. So shoulders had an action figure of himself too. He's he's one of I guess three guys in the scene that is one of the action figures from the film, and the action figure has really prominent giant shoulders because i don't think i would have noticed it otherwise in the in the brief couple shots of him in the film and then finally we have uh the rodent who i love because it's it's really obvious why he's called out he just has really rat-like features he's got again kind of a craggly face and um, a big kind of rat-like nose and and he speaks in this really nasally kind of i'm in uh, <laughs> voice which i really liked and he's wearing this kind of uh pink kind of purple suit with a bowler hat uh, he's really mm-hmm. cool and what i especially like is when the kid knocks over the the, uh, the oil barrel or whatever, the, the mobsters all stand up and they're like, oh, what was that? And they all point their guns over and then um, the stooge says, uh, oh, it's just a cat or something like that. And then the rodent picks up the cat and says, hi, little kitty, and throws it off into the, the other side of the room and you just hear that kind of sound from the cat. Jesus, I thought it was yeah. fun that the person who disposes of the cat is a rodent. Mm, true. I mean, probably my least favorite half second in the film, just as an animal lover. But uh, interesting, watching it um, a minute at a time here. Like, it's I've never quite taken such a close look at a cat before, and it's it's like when he picks it up, it's absolutely a cat puppet. Yeah. Because um, he really whips that thing. Do you do you figure it's maybe the same cat puppet that was used for Salem Saberhagen on Sabrina a few years? Later? I, I I think it could only be yes. Um, you think they found it, it amongst like a, the barrels in the studio back lot and uh, <laughs> said, all right, we got our Salem. Do you think if this movie was made today that they'd have such a blatant moment of animal cruelty? Just because it does seem to be one of those sacred things that you can't, like you can have as much sex and violence in a movie, but you can't, uh, you can't show Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I think it's, if anything, this is kind of a tradition of 90s and 80s kids films and stuff. There would often be like one kind of, terrifying moment of animal cruelty often really early in the film that as a kid you just have to like power through this this yeah. moment it, it feels like it could, it could be one of those sort of narrative things that they, they put in there to make you 
want to hate these people and want them to die. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, no, I think that's bang on. Uh, because the only other thing that really establishes them as, as bad guys at all is that we know in the Dick Tracy universe, crime is not glamorous. Crime is, is ugly and grotesque. And all these guys are, are made up that way. But it's nice that they actually show them being big old jerks rather than just uh, trusting the audience to know that... Because they're ugly and because they smoke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, actually, so the different actors who play all these guys. So I did a bit of research into into all of them. And it turns out uh, they're actually all pretty interesting guys. So starting with the Stooge, this guy, the guy who plays the Stooge, is one of the most prolific stunt drivers in movie history, basically. Wow. He's, he, especially for big trucks and buses, he's played, a, there's like 20 different acting credits he has as bus driver, including like in The Fugitive, the huge bus crash scene, he's the driver there. He's a bus or truck driver in like dozens of other films, uh, including like to this day, like he's in, in Logan, he's in Inception, he's, he's still in like massive, massive stuff to this day. But his most notable role, in The Dark Knight, he's the Joker's truck driver with the cowboy hat in the amazing like huge car chase sequence in The oh, Dark interesting. Knight. interesting. That's cool. Uh, so next, uh, the road. So all four of the actors in this scene are basically just stuntmen, like like long career veteran stuntmen. But uh, it's just so interesting that in a film where basically every little bit part is like a huge classic household name actor, uh, that for these four roles who are like huge characters from the comics, um, they just use these stuntmen for them. Some of them, even though they all get killed off real quick, some of them have more lines than, like, Catherine O'Hara or Kathy Bates or people like that who are also in this film. So, yeah, just another interesting kind of quirk to the whole production. Interesting fact about the rodent. Uh, mm -hmm. In the comics, uh, the rodent, he, he's not hes not the rodent. His name is just Rodent, and it's spelled like Rhode Island. Ah. It's R-H-O-D-E-N-T, Rodent. <laughs> what an unfortunate name. Uh but actually, that's something about the character, too. The The action figure looks kind of cute. Like, he's just, like, this, you know, like, cute little rat-faced type guy with, with a pointy kind of nose. In the film, one of my main memories of watching the film for the first time, after years of playing with that figure, seeing the rodent close up, and he's, he looks absolutely grotesque in live action. And they his whole face is, is really... Uh, like scarred and he's got like these tiny little buck teeth that I only noticed uh, recently but yeah that first time seeing it's like he does not look like a cute little plastic figure like he looks like this terrifying sleazy adult that ugh. and then yeah um, so shoulders he's played also by like an actor and stuntman named Stig Eldred Stig Eldred who's done lots of random uh, work and stuff over the years but he's uh, he's played like the narrator in a bunch of different Power Rangers shows like again very recently so that's pretty cool oh, that's cool but yeah actually one that's pretty interesting is the brow the actor playing the brow is like 20 years older than the other four guys Wow. Um, his name's Ch Chuck Hicks. He's still around. Like, he's 90 now. He was born in 1927. So the actor playing the brow will turn 100 within the decade we're in now. That's amazing. But he, he kind of looks like the youngest of them. He's certainly got the smoothest features with his big, giant brow. He's got no eyebrows in this. His brow mm -hmm. goes right down over them. His credits are great. Like, he, he has 195 credits on IMDb going all the way back to the to 1952. Um, he was in the original Twilight Zone in several episodes. You won't actually care about this, but he played one of King Tut's henchmen called a Tutling in uh, multiple episodes of Batman 1966. That is awesome. I'm going to try and find a clip of him 
because I guarantee there's probably uh, the the question is is he in the famous uh, Bat Two C scene where Batman dances his way to? Freedom? Are we to understand that you actually are you're a fan of King Tut? I'm a big fan of King Tut. Yeah, I love King Tut. <laughs> He does what he needs there to do. There is a very good... It, it looked like Chuck Hicks here was credited as a Tutling in like three episodes of Batman or more. So uh, it could be that he is in the famous Batuzzi scene. The Batuzzi scene I'm talking about, uh, there's an episode of 1960s Batman, if people don't know, where uh, King Tut has captured Batman and he, he releases a slow stream of pebbles over Batman's head. The idea being that he will... He, he'll slowly erode the brain cells in Batman's brain to the point where he's a mindless slave. <laughs> And then they finally release him, uh, thinking that they've made him this, you know, mindless zombie thing. And then uh, they they ask him to to dance for their amusement, and he starts doing the Batusi, and it's incredible. And then he starts like punching people as part of the dance, and he says, "I thought you'd unhinged me, did you? I kept my sanity by recounting the multiplication tables backwards." And it's just. <laughs> It's pure West. It's interesting. It's it's always fun when uh, comic book heroes use math to get out of some perilous situation. And our hero, Dick Tracy himself, will do that much later in the film. Um, so we've got some exciting math to look forward to. He even takes out a notepad and pencil and uh, and works out all the details. So if you weren't but, sold uh, on this podcast just time, yet... Plus strap yourself in <laughs> so one just one kind of nice art, artistic touch I like in this scene is that there's a lot of cuts back to the kid just mm. peering over the barrels and there's a really nice contrast between the kid who's in addition to just being a child in the first place Charlie Korsman's made up in this film with like fake freckles and stuff and even though the kid's face is dirty from being on the street and stuff it's these great shots of this wide-eyed innocent fresh-faced kid cutting back and forth with the these horrific looking gangsters mm. with craggy faces and the cloud of smoke and it's it to me it's always kind of felt like the kid is sort of looking at what his future might be right if he doesn't get off this or if he doesn't have the opportunity if to, he doesn't stop you know, eating those sandwiches better and that <laughs> true yeah uh that that as well do you think uh well i guess we'll we'll see as the film goes on but yeah goodness gracious great balls um uh, so yeah, I really like that. There's also there's some good credits uh, that pop up yes. through, throughout uh, this. The most notable being right at the beginning, costume designer Milena Cananero. Oh wow. Cananero. Um, so she did the the obviously fantastic costume design for this film, and she was nominated for the costume design Oscar for this. But so she's actually she's been nominated for best costume design nine times over the years. She's won four Oscars for best costume, including uh, pretty recently she won for. Uh, best costume design for Grand Budapest Hotel. So another uh, period film that has like these great, br- uh, vibrant, colored costumes. And uh, anyway, yeah. Oh, she she basically did all the the Wes Anderson film. She did Life Aquatic as well, which is loaded with red, yellows, and blues and great period costumes. So yeah. I was drawn to uh, the casting director of this film. The the very first credit I think we see in this minute, uh, casting by Jackie Birch or Jackie Ooh, I miss that one. Jackie Burke. I don't know how you. It's it's a C H. Uh, sound so hmm. I don't know how Probably we're Birch. pronouncing that but yeah. obviously the, the casting in this movie is amazing because you have these you know incredible uh, storied actors playing you know these fairly minor roles throughout the whole thing uh, so I was interested to see you know someone like that she must have a pretty uh, pretty great career and she does you know I think her heyday was really in the 80s she worked on things like 16 Candles The Breakfast Club Weird Science hmm. Fright Night Commando, Predator, The Running Man, Red Heat with our good friend uh, James Belushi, Coming to America, Die Hard, Roadhouse, the greatest movie of all time, Dick Tracy, Die Hard 2. And then once we kind of get into the 1990s, things take a bit of a step 
back for her. She did Predator 2, which a lot of people like. Then she did Hudson Hawk. Then she followed Hudson Hawk up with Stop <laughs> or My Mom Will Shoot. Everyone's favourite. Um, Hot Shots Part 2, Beverly Hills Cop 3. And then Judge Dredd in 1995, which I have a lot of time for, but a lot of people understandably hate. And then it's kind of just a bit of a downward slope after that um, a lot of TV movies a lot of TV shows that I've never heard of but then in more recent she's years pretty well in, in more recent years she's kind of continued working in the casting department if not quite the casting director and she's worked on stuff like um, The Hunger Games uh, Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 1 and 2 so yeah there's Iron Man 3 she did kind of local casting on so it doesn't look like she's kind of she's one of the heavy hitters anymore but she's still kind of working away she's still making things uh, so yeah way, way to go Jackie Burch I can't yeah I can't even imagine just being the casting director for this film it's it's incomprehensible because it, it, it'd be interesting to know like how much how much mm. of the cast like I mean this is this is true of any movie but like how much of the cast in this is down to her work and how much of it is down to Warren Beatty just going, saying hey you know Glenn Headley you owe me one or, mm. or like James Caan get over here and be in my movie for a day <laughs> it's a great question yeah I, she'd be somebody really interesting uh, to talk to if, if she's still with us um, yeah I'd love to hear all that went down another one uh, so yeah the next person that comes up the other star the other biggest star of the film the production design uh uh, so Richard Silbert comes up and uh, so Richard Silbert uh, won the Oscar for best production design for this film shared with set decorator Rick Simpson he's done tons of stuff he was the production designer for Cheers as well which is really cool I won't go through his, his whole filmography but he's done tons of really cool stuff um, Rosemary's Baby The Graduate The Manchurian Candidate the thing that struck me the most is he was born in 1928 so he would have grown up like through the 30s and 40s he would have lived like through that he would have been in 1948 he was he was already 20 years old so to do a movie like this in the 90s he's he's not just making it up out of thin air like mm. based on on fiction he was old enough to actually remember the real 30s and 40s and then create this this caricature version of them mm. so i thought that was that was pretty cool to find out yeah, as opposed to just like yeah. oh yeah if if it was tim burton or somebody who was like you know in his late 20s doing batman um anton first was a bit older but yeah, you get the idea. Yeah, it's always good to have that air oh, of yeah. authenticity <laughs> in your movie. Isn't oh, it? clearly. Um, <laughs> then, yeah, the last two credits, actually. Producer, Barry M. Osborne. He's massive. He did Lord of the Rings eventually, uh, Child's Play, The Matrix. He did The Great Gatsby, which is so another like great kind of period stylized fantasy film um, just a few years ago. But he's so high profile with Lord of the Rings. Like This is one of the few Hollywood producers that I can actually picture in my head from watching hours and hours of Lord of the Rings uh, making of mm. stuff. He's this really cheery guy um yeah my final kind of <laughs> note is that right after barry Os barry m osborne the last two producers are and art linson and floyd mutrux m-u-t-r-u-x i think it's pronounced mutrux or mutrux e either way uh art linson and floyd mutrux strike me as really comic booky kind of names like you couldn't like steve ditko and stan lee couldn't come up with uh two better names art linson and Floyd Mutrux, or Floyd Mutrux, or, yeah, anyway, just, uh, definitely names befitting characters of their own. The only thing the, that that kind of duo is missing is the creative efforts of Mr. Fred Fox from uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula, <laughs> but uh, I, I guess he was too busy working on that movie. That is, that is a real producer, uh, Mr. Fred Fox, F-U-C-H-S, so uh, he's... 
he's had a stellar career. Yeah, other than that, it comes down to uh, the ante is up in the poker game. The brow, we get our first and only close-up of the brow. He exasperatedly looks across the table at Littleface and says, Well, Littleface? Well, Littleface! <laughs> and that's where our minute ends. And the next minute's really going to start with a bang, because it turns out, Well, Littleface is the last uh, words of the brow, and the last words any of these men hear, because, uh, well, we'll see next minute, uh, but yeah. Just while, while we're, while we're kind of tight on his face there, I will say, like, I, I've played around with kind of uh, prosthetics and things in the past, and um, it, it's a really, really impressive one they have here. Like, it, it does kind of blend in with his skin perfectly. Uh, you, you can just about see some of the seams, but, like, it's, it's acceptable enough for a movie that was made in 1990, and I think part of that is that I'm, I'm watching it in a higher resolution that it was probably ever intended to be seen in but uh no just really really good work there i i mentioned the book i have the making of dick tracy in one of the first episodes uh, there's a great photo of the actor who plays the brow getting the uh the makeup putting on him so uh, i'll try and get a screen grab of that and put it on the on our facebook page but uh yeah, yeah absolutely like uh we've we've cited a few times but it's been really impressive watching the film in hd after years of vhs just how well the makeup holds up in general because it, it absolutely Absolutely, you know, there was the risk of it looking poor and it still looks like a million bucks. I, th- I think a big part of it is like they go for such a cartoony aesthetic and they, they kind of eschew realism with a lot of the characters and that, that kind of inherently gives them a pass that if they just went for some kind of like hardcore gritty realism you'd be more inclined to look for the seams a bit more whereas because it's so cartoony you're willing to just allow yourself to be transported that bit more. Mm-hmm. No absolutely yeah it's actually uh, something I'd wanted to note is the order in which we see the close-ups of the of these guys really sort of draws us into the world like like the stooge the first one we see fairly normal i think the next one we get a close-up of is shoulders who also has a fairly normal looking if weathered face then the rodent is the first really grotesque looking one that we see and it's just like geez who are these guys and then we finally get our first full-on look at little face which is who's just like funhouse terrifying pumpkin head and uh and yeah it's it's like you said earlier this is where we really know what kind of world we're in and, and just to note as well, we, we don't mean to offend any of our listeners who may have um, giant heads and tiny faces. Yes, uh, important to keep in mind for the whole uh, podcast, I guess. Uh, the world of Dick Tracy does not reflect the real world where there's lots of good-looking, terrible criminals and uh, lots of wonderful people um, with weird-shaped heads or faces that look like some kind of prop or animal that they're named after either by coincidence or design. And now, boys and girls, the zip-zapping, super-delicious taste of crackly flakes presents the Dick Tracy Minute Highlights. All right, so, uh, Rob, what was your favorite thing about uh, Minute 3 of Dick Tracy? So, having seen this movie a million times, um, it's one of the most memorable scenes for me, and it's got to be Little Face. Um, It's just something that stuck with me from when I was very young, seeing the movie for the first time. Uh, I was just mesmerized by this man's giant head and face. Uh, and, and while, you know, I think watching it now, we kind of realized that they maybe didn't quite achieve the sort of proportions they were going for um, in terms of, you know, when you see him in the wide shots, he's actually got a much smaller head than it looks like he has when, when you see him in the in the close-up shots. I still think it's um, it's really innovative and really interesting. And it's he's one of the guys I immediately think of when I think of this movie, even though he's only in this one scene. Uh, so yeah it's got to be little face for me yeah um 
very true, and it, it is crazy just the fact that these five guys who are one of the most iconic images from the movie in general literally only appear in this one minute of the film. Like, almost precisely in this one minute. They are introduced a couple seconds into the minute, and uh, they exit, like, in the first second or so of the next minute, and that's it. Mm -hmm. And yet everyone kind of remembers them uh, if they've ever seen this film. I just want to point out as well, actually, um, just, just on Little Face and, and the group as a whole, um, there was a Topps trading card series for Dick Tracy back in the day. And I, if you Google image it, you can see it easily enough. But there's a great kind of uh, group photo of the uh, five mobsters here. And in the, you, you can see shoulders there and you can really, really clearly see his really wide shoulders. Um, but in the middle of the group is Littleface. <laughs> oh, I know where you're going with this. only well lit shot of uh, Littleface in his kind of... Um, his normal sized non close up head and it looks like he's got a fake face. It's a fucking uh, dummy. It's, it's kinda of terrifying to look at, but that explains maybe what we were not seeing in that shot exactly. where he's kinda of in the shadows. Yeah, I've I looked at the same image last night. Uh it's it's hilarious because it's it's like these four actors posing for the camera, all posed around what appears to be <laughs> a dummy with a fake head, or possibly a real man wearing a no I, mask. I think it's yeah. a real guy because it looks like he's got real hands it just looks like his head is completely fake well, fair play i'm glad uh i'm glad the actor got in there lawrence stephen myers is the actor actually plays little face and he's only got a few credits he's mostly a producer but uh yeah i love the that promotional picture with with this quato from total recall like uh face there um <laughs> my favorite uh my favorite uh, thing about the minute, personally, uh, I gotta give it to the brow. He's—it's uh, the least elaborate makeup on him. He—he he doesn't have the the kind of scars and um, general grotesquerie that uh, the other four have. He's just got a normal-looking face, but but with the giant brow that comes down over his eyebrows. He's only in it, obviously, for these few seconds, but it's it's just so iconic. Uh, I'm biased because of having all the action figures, but, like, the brow is a huge Dick Tracy character. He, he appeared in the comics for decades, and um, given that they only had this one scene to get him right in the film, like, it's just like, yeah, wow, he, he's the one that sticks out in my mind. Great job. So that'll do it for this week. Next week, we're going to see all these grotesque characters get absolutely shot to pieces. What? So, spoiler alert for the next second of the film. I say next week. Uh, there's no actual real order or chronology to when these episodes are coming out, but the next one, be it one day, one week, we'll see. There's going to be shooting. It's like, all right, see you next week when uh, the bullets start flying, Rob. See you then, sir. Yeah.